Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Clowater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A reading from Daniel. At that time, Michael the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish, such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to eternal life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. A gospel reading from the 13th chapter of Mark. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and when will the sign, what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nations will arise against nations, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. I'm I'm just going to stall for a few minutes. Uh, Grace grace and uh, peace to you, my friends in faith. Um, What am I going to preach on today? (laughs) Did you hear the readings that she just did? That was, like, you want to trade? You, you're not, you wouldn't, oh, I'm just going to throw a bunch of ideas in a bucket, okay? Um, all right, so, all right, I'm going to preach on, it looks like I get to preach on apocalyptic readings in the Bible, so, great, thanks. You sure? I mean, it sounds like a real upper, I know, right? Apocalypse, I know, you woke up this, in your, this morning, and you're like, hey, let's go to church and, and let's learn all about the apocalyptic readings of the Bible. All right, all right, okay. Daniel, we'll start there, Daniel. Um, When I think of Daniel, I think of ravenous lions, Uh, so we're not off to a great start, but I mean, Daniel, okay, so an Old Testament uh, prophetic book of the Bible. Daniel's writing about how the Jews are facing suffering under imperial rule, so he's writing about remaining faithful in the face of persecution, and all these revolts that the people were having. And so I guess in many ways, the kingdom of God was truly at hand, right? They were being killed by the oppressive uh, rule and they were being killed during these revolts. The apocalypse to the people was, was real. I mean, this was life was right in front of them was just tedious. And so Daniel during this time was pointing towards a world that was transformed by God. And so as he's doing this, his words would have been shared in secret, this secret promise of what resurrection looked like. And so he would write 
these words to the people as this was happening, as they were thinking about being in, uh, in this oppressive situation, as they were revolting, and he would talk about how the people would be delivered. And that line at the very end said, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And in reality, this is actually a pretty hopeful message. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word apocalypse, I mean, do you ever think that it's like that word where we're talking about God's wrath in response to all the bad things happening in the world? And, and it's like, if we don't fix everything now, like everything's just going to go get blown up. Um, it's kind of like the Wile E. Coyote, right? Like the, this is God. Like God's like on the TNT, ready to hit the, you know, to blast it. And we are the roadrunner, just narrowly avoiding complete and utter destruction. Whether that's the plagues or the world wars, the cold war, the, the current pandemic. And maybe, just maybe, we've got this idea stuck in our head because we've seen just a few too many movies about what the apocalypse must look like. In reality, the apocalypse, in religious terms, is about, it's about revealing heavenly promises. It's a promise of new hope as we try to overcome the sufferings of the present. It's why the revelation about future suffering from Jesus is a very unexpected pivot and twist in Mark's gospel. Because to this point, everything that Mark has written, and it's a very short gospel, it's 16 chapters, everything that he's written has really all been just the stories of Jesus. And so now, here we are in chapter 13, and all of a sudden, context matters. Because what is happening in the world as Mark is writing this story is different than what was happening as Jesus lived this story. Kind of like in Daniel's time, where Daniel is writing while the revolt is happening. This time, Mark is writing while the revolt is happening against Rome. It's not happening when Jesus is alive. That destruction of the temple is going to be a future event that Jesus speaks about. So when Jesus says these words, not one stone will be left here upon another, all will be thrown down. I mean, it's like he's kind of in a crystal ball, like this is going to happen. This is not something that happened in that moment. But it's something as Mark is writing it down 35 years later is a very real, actual event happening. And so as he's writing down the gospel, he's actually giving a modern retelling of the gospel of Jesus, which is supposed to invoke images of an actual apocalyptic moment of destruction that in this time they're pointing towards words of hope. And so in verse 13, a few verses after what we heard this morning, Jesus says, And you will all be hated because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And he's not talking about the revolt in Jesus is real time, but in the real time of those who are there in Jerusalem at this time, they are remembering his words and it's bringing them hope. His leadership's what guides them, and Mark, as a writer, is applying his teachings in that past to help them respond to the present. It's what we do as we gather for church. We listen to these stories. We, we learn from Jesus in the past, and it guides us, and, and it helps in our reflection of what to do in the present. Uh, Shed Myers wrote a book called A Political Reading of Mark's Story of Jesus, and he says that the fact that the parties of the revolt are never mentioned by name by Mark indicate that Mark felt pretty sympathetic to their protest. Right? Like Mark actually thinks that this is worthwhile. Like Their protest against the social, political, and economic oppression by the Romans— 
But on the other hand, the fact that Mark feels a need to reject the claims of the rebel recruiters, you know, like the, the false ones who are coming in Jesus' name, it suggests that members of Mark's community might also have been drafted into this liberation war or were being tempted to join it. So you think about it, who could have resisted that pull of patriotism or the lure of the hope that here at last was the long-deferred prophetic promise of that final battle in which Yahweh could vindicate Israel. And it's in such a moment as this that there was only one voice that they could match that would match the persuasive call of those rebel recruiters. So what do you counter that voice with? Well, you counter it with the voice of Jesus, the living teacher. So to this, Jesus, the disciples turn to in a direct plea for some clarity on the moment in this historical moment. It's a, it's a moment, it's a time of persecution, of death, of destruction of their most holy place, of the temple. And the early Christians, what do they do when all this apocalyptic stuff is happening? They turn to the living God. They turn to Jesus. And when you turn to Jesus, when you turn to that living God, there's a future. There's a hope. So what about us? What direction do we turn? Well, maybe I can find another. All right. I think I'm done with that one. Uh, Children, youth, and family. So, themes for preaching today. Children, youth, and family. Let's see. Uh, I, when I think about children, youth, and family, I think children are truly a, a symbol of hope, aren't they? I mean, like, I hear it when I talk to you in the church all the time. You are so excited about youth. You're excited and on fire for what is going to come because of the children and because of the youth in our church. It's what the adults in our church identified as the number one mission and ministry priority for 2022 was being able to support children, youth, and family. The presence of children in the church subconsciously tells us as people of God that it's all going to be okay. And so even though we don't necessarily see as many kids in worship like we did before the pandemic, they're still here. They're still watching. They're still coming on Wednesday nights. At 10.30, don't worry, they're coming now at 9 o'clock. They're joining us for Sunday school there. But I'm going to tell you something that's different. It is much different to be able to do Sunday school and worship in ways right now during a pandemic. Deacon Nina, you and I both were in seminary around the same time. So it's been about a 15-year, maybe a little bit longer, of conversation where the, the main, like, if you go to seminary, like, one of the questions you get asked and you talk about a lot is, well, what is the future of the church going to be in X. Like in what, you, you know, when will, when will everything uh, change? We are in X. This is it. I mean, this, thanks to the pandemic, we are living in and experiencing what the future church will be. It will be hybrid. There will be you watching from home and participating in worship that way one Sunday and maybe joining us in person the next, or you're going to be in a different context. The church will look different. I mean, there's going to be change. It's going to be different. And we might be afraid of it, but guess what? I got great news for you. There are thousands of years of apple, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, that is such a hard word, Apol- you know, the apocalypse, right? There's a thousands of years of apocalypse type events to turn to. So guess what? Through each of these events, there's been survival. The church which, you know, it's not coming back the way that we thought it would, but it will grow. 
it will continue to thrive. We know that Christ is with us. I can't wait to see what God is going to do with this church, knowing that things are different and all of this upheaval is going to cause us to do and act and listen and respond in much different ways. One of those ways is through our confirmation youth. I mean, look at how full it is on Wednesday nights, folks. I mean, this is really a testament to how integral and important these conversations are that these youth are having. They are having some great conversations. Last Wednesday, they were talking about what it means to be a theologian. Were you doing that at 14? They're talking about what it means to study God. And guess what? We're giving them the tools to say, we want you to learn and grow, and we're not going to give you all the answers. We want you to explore. Try figuring this out. Talk through some difficult concepts. Try to make some sense of this complicated thing that we call faith. And don't worry that you don't have all the answers today. And, and it's okay to be able to, to have these conversations with each other. Our current ninth grade students are discovering what their spiritual gifts are. And as an added bonus this year, so are their parents. So not only are the students learning what their spiritual gifts are, but they're then talking to their own parents and saying, well, what were your spiritual gifts? Where's there some overlap and where's their differences? And then how are they going to live those spiritual gifts out? And one of the best parts about discovering your spiritual gifts is it's not like you are learning your spiritual gifts and they only apply in church. In fact, if I would have had this at 14, it would have been so helpful in my career counseling sessions. I would have been able to have like, wow, these are some great gifts and understanding on like ways to use God's gifts in my life through sports through uh, extracurriculars, through school, through all of the activities that we do, and then also through church and the ways that God is calling us to serve. The Holy Spirit's got this, folks. But then what does that mean for us? All right, I move on. Now let's do, um, last one I got here is stewardship. I mean, we're supposed to talk about stewardship. Uh, so we, we talked about that a little bit at the beginning, but I, th- I think it's, it's valuable for us to think about the word stewardship as the concept of how God is calling us to live out what God has given to us. And so stewardship, it's taking care of something. It's managing or tending to something that's been entrusted to us. God has given us our families, our money, our possessions, but God's also given us this earth, this creation, this world that we have to take care of. We get to take care of. And actually, we've been entrusted with that. We get to make decisions to be responsible to care for the future generations. And so a friend of mine shared an old proverb. It goes, blessed is he who plants trees under whose shade he will never sit. Think about how important that is. To know that we are doing things today that we might not ever see the benefits of. We might never actually experience the gifts of the things that we're doing. You think about this as actually planting trees or metaphorically. How are we planting trees today? Because let's be honest, this is a weird time to be alive. In a pandemic where we see plenty of economic disparity, political dysfunction left and right, we see authoritarian regimes popping up across the world, and we think about how they can be threats to our own safety and livelihood. Not to mention, let's be honest, let's reflect on what our own American culture is telling us. What's the most important thing as an American? This idea of this rugged individualism and toxic idolatry of personal success. It's suffocating. And it might feel a bit apocalyptic. But there's something we can do. How can we help the generations that are to come after us? Well, 
We know that the ways that we can care and nurture for the world, even if they don't benefit us, are going to take care of the world today. So how can we plant trees for the future? How can we go out there and do this? Maybe it's walking alongside a refugee family that's been displaced from Afghanistan, that's in transition, trying to find some stability, trying to plant their own roots to be able to become our neighbors. You want to plant a tree, what, what about walking with our homeless neighbors? Modeling healthy relationships, modeling care and compassion, and like the Thanksgiving meal that we, we're going to be doing at American during Thanksgiving week. You, know, you want to plant a tree, what about encouraging our youth like, like we did for Amy? Think about how Amy, as just a little child, grew up in this congregation and was continually able to grow and thrive as she was able to discern her own spiritual gifts and discern where God was calling her in this world and to live out that calling. We can do this by praying for our youth, by supporting them as they want to go to camp or to the boundary waters or to pray for them in their own discernment of what God's doing in their lives and to be thankful for their voices, to be thankful for the youth that are often leading us now in worship. You want to plant a tree? What about the ways that we're taking care of this actual building? Knowing that the ways that we invest by maintaining and improving this facility help us to say, yes, this is a place that we believe this church will be here for generations to come. You want to plant a tree? Trust in that relationship with God. Remember when Jesus says to to go and do likewise? Like, Jesus meant that. Show mercy. Show love. Go out there and and, and do something. Do something that's going to put a smile on someone's face. Be kind. Are you stressed out right now? Be mindful of the fact that your neighbors might be stressed out a little bit too. And that the way that we have that relationship with others is something to bear in mind. Be patient with one another. Listen intently. Be grace-filled like our Lord and Savior gave us grace. All right, so my basket's empty, but I know what you're asking. What do apocalyptic readings of the Bible, children, youth, and family, and stewardship, what do they all have in common? What's that universal thread? They're signs of hope. They all point to that promise of hope, of something into the future. They're all things that we know direct us to where God is leading us, and we get to choose our own adventure. We don't know what's next. We aren't guaranteed that life's going to be easy, There's going to be trouble. There's going to be turmoil. But we do get to choose how to respond. We do get to choose to listen. As we listen to these ancient words that Jesus spoke many, many years ago, they they direct us now and give us guidance here in our present time. What do we get to do? We get to go plant some trees. Amen. Well, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Look for more information on faithfl.org or certainly reach out to the office if you would like to receive weekly email updates. Thank you.